By this point, if you've been following us on this series, you will know that you want to grow your business and yourself, whether that be due to personal ambition or due to an opportunity that has arisen. You've also ensured that you won't be standing in the business's way and your mind is focused on achieving this growth. So how are you actually going to do it? In this episode, I'm joined by Josh Curtis, partner here at A4G, to talk to us about the practical considerations of how you actually go about choosing a strategy for growth. We also have guest speaker, Simon Thompson, from Relish Research, joining us to share his insight into how knowing your ideal customer is key to fitting into your growth plans. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Get Down to Business. Before I introduce our guest today, I just wanted to remind you that if you've not yet got your hands on a copy of Malcolm Palmer's new book, please go to www.accidentalmillionaires.co.uk or amazon.co.uk and search Accidental Millionaires to get yours today. It is now available on Kindle too. With me today is Josh Curtis, a partner at A4G. But before we speak to Josh, I thought it'd be good to talk to an expert in this area who can give us a little background and insight into what growth strategies actually are and why you need one. Simon Thompson is a managing director of Relish Research, a company dedicated to helping their clients develop strong growth strategies and ensure they have a richer understanding of their customers. They've worked with some very well-known household brands, and I thought it'd be great if we could get his insight into this topic. Hi, Simon. How are you this morning? Good. Thank you, Charlotte. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Well, before we kick off today, it would just be great if you could give our listeners a brief background into who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, So I'm uh, Managing Director of Relish. We're an agency, a consumer inside agency with about 24 staff uh, and turnovers around three and a half million pounds. We've, um, we've, We've been through a number of phases of growth ourselves over the last few years, but we're on the right trajectory at the moment. So um, a really interesting topic and, and quite time is to be talking about it to you today. Brilliant. Well, we'll talk a bit about the theory behind choosing a growth strategy later. But before we do that, I thought it'd be really great to get your thoughts about where a business owner should start before heading on, you know, heading off onto this growth journey. Because in reality, they they should really be, def- be defining who their ideal customers and their consumers are. Because actually, there's, if you agree, Simon, there's a subtle difference between the two. I.e., you could be a parent purchasing, which is the customer, an item for their child, which is the consumer. So, you know, how would our listeners maybe go about doing or thinking about thinking about that sort of thing? Sure, I, I think the, the first start, uh, first part of this process. I mean, you need to look inward. Uh, as to what it is that you're actually offering the market to get a better definition of who uh, you should be trying to connect with and speak to and engage with. Um, And it's often something that's overlooked uh, by businesses. We spend a lot of time ourselves when we get briefs from major FTSE 100 companies coming through, uh, asking questions around fundamentals of exactly what it is that they're their product or service is trying to deliver um, to get a better understanding of, of who we should be speaking to from an insight perspective to give them to give them what they need. Um, the I think it's a bit about understanding what makes what you want uh, to make you famous uh, in regards to the offer or service that you've got um, and then uh, planning from there. It sounds very simple, um, but it's really done from small businesses right through to much larger uh, organizations uh, and, and if you don't do it you end up in some sort of existential crisis and trying to figure out who and where you should be turning next um, but getting the getting the basics right around around what it is that you do and from there figuring out who potentially could be someone that would be interested in your product or service I think is a, is a really good place to start. 
Brilliant. And I like that bit of advice. Keep it simple. I think sometimes we can overcomplicate things and actually just coming back right down to the basics. What are our key, you know, drivers? What is our key reason that we do this? You know, who is our ideal customer? I think keeping that simple. I like that. Um, Another big question we know business owners should be asking themselves are, you know, what are my markets? Not only now, but in the future, because I think that will also allow them to think of their ideal customer and how they fit into that market. Exactly, exactly. I think it builds nicely on what we've just been talking about. Um, in fact, the future is very difficult to predict, and there's a lot of uh, soothsayers out there that will tell us what's coming in the, in the in the future. But if you wind back to March 2020, um, there was no way we could have predicted what was going to come next uh, and how global markets adapted and evolved and how businesses have evolved uh, off the back of that. Uh, and that's possibly why we're seeing such growth and insight is because people are realizing or businesses are realizing they don't actually know what's coming next uh, mm-hmm. and 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 speaking and engaging with customers and prospect customers um, is a huge, I guess, competitive advantage they can get um, to help them plan for the for the future. Um, I think if you if we go back to what we were just talking about with the um, understanding of what your business offers, if you ground everything in some of those sort of core business principles of what it is that you're trying to do or you're delivering or your product or your service, um, you get a better sense of who is your target right now, but also potentially who's your target uh, in the future and where you can, I guess, adapt and evolve, whether you want to go sideways, whether you want to go more mass market rather than niche, um, all of those sorts of things come back to really properly understanding and getting to grips with your offer and, uh, uh, you know, your competitors uh, and then ultimately your audience from there. Yeah, and I think that's quite interesting because, you know, there is big change and you can't predict everything. But if you really do know what the market is now and who your ideal customer is now within that market, I think that gives you a good place to start and then you can adapt from there. But obviously, once we know those things, how does a business actually gain market advantage? And and by this, I mean, how can we find out how many more customers are out there within our market? Because even if they're already in within a certain market or they're looking to move into it, you know, either way, we really want to be performing better than our competitors, don't we? Exactly. And I think this is, you're blowing our own trumpet. This is where we come <laughs> in, um, particularly for these organisations that are so large that they don't necessarily have the nimbleness or capacity to monitor everything in front of them i mean there's there's no shortage of data that's uh, available um i think the biggest problem uh, that we face not so much as is getting a hold of data is actually what to do with it mm. um and it's how you look and interrogate what's in front of you what you currently have um what's freely available on sites like google and also whether you want to go into primary research, which is uh, our, our sort of core offer, um, the, the 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 lens of which you look at that data is uh, is really important. And I think if you focus more on, I guess, jobs to be done, I know there's a there's a big theory around uh, uh, around that, but if, I think it's quite important to to look at what what sort of what do people want your why are they why are they hiring or buying into your product or service? And I think there's a, there's a quote mm. um, around people don't want a quarter inch drill, they want a quarter inch hole. Yeah. And if you start moving away from that quarter inch drill to thinking about how many people actually want a quarter inch hole, there's a lot of people that want that. Um, mm. And then ultimately your your view of the market becomes much bigger. Um, and how you position your offer for that sort of uh, job or task to be done, um, how to sell your offer, how to communicate it, and ultimately, you know, what is the price that people are willing to pay? What's the maximum I can charge for that um, offer or service, in this case, a, a quarter-inch hole? 
those things can be packaged up um, and sold across different channels um, through 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 sort of different markets, you know, local uh, UK based global markets, all sorts of things open up um, by, by getting back to, to, to looking really at what the um, what the problem is and what, what your product is designed to do and, and how people want to engage with that. That's brilliant. I think, you know, how effectively we're actually going to match the products or the services we provide to our customers' needs, like you said, is pretty crucial. You know, as presumably, like presumably, like you said, you know, this drives what strategy we choose. For example, if we know where the demand is, we can then just take these to the new markets. But if we don't know this, though, I know you've touched on it, how can a business owner really go about getting the answers to those questions? Um, it, this is really what we do, and, and we try and aim to do it very well for for our clients. We have a combination of of tools and research tools that I won't bore you with um, mm-hmm. to to dig into what customer needs are. Um, but fundamentally, it comes down to um, conversations and uh, immersion with uh, audiences. So to understand what what customers needs are from um, from talking and having dialogue, and uh, other times it's about observation. Um, and that is watching from afar and seeing how people interact and behave within certain environments and how the context of an environment shapes the shapes behaviors. Um, sometimes it's it's using data from uh, behavioral data, survey data, any other data we can get our hands on to, to identify the, the, the trends. But it's about pulling together multiple threads of insight to better understand what's going on. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's a claim around uh, having a single source of truth, and it's very difficult uh, for for any business to try and validate, uh, and I certainly know for the clients that we work with who are enormous, um, mm-hmm. single source of truth doesn't exist. Um, no. So it's a nice thing to talk about, but in reality, it doesn't uh, it doesn't hold up to any sort of scrutiny or interrogation. Um, so I think you know, it's, it's some, in some ways, the whole process is a little bit boring. It's about incrementally improving things um, rather than overhauling. So combination of um, short-term gains and, and wins and, and, and driving things from that perspective, but a lot of consistency and repetition um, over time uh, really goes a, a long way to, to making uh, an impact, from, particularly from a, from a growth perspective. So we see our clients um, spend a lot of time planning two to five years in advance and then giving things time uh, in order to, to, to grow uh, and deliver the results that they need. And often that's, that's why they're so big. Um, it's because they've, they've got the capacity to do it. I realize it's not always possible if you're a smaller business, but um, giving things time and trusting the strategy um, is, a, is a huge uh, common commonality across sustainable and winning brands. No, and I like that. And I think also our listeners out there, if they're looking at growing the business and choosing a growth strategy, I know you referenced it, was, it is a little bit boring, but if you do the right things over and over and over again you will get the you know the right results um and i think that's really important to remember it is consistency in anything you choose from your growth strategy marketing strategy anything you're doing with your customers yourselves every little thing that you do you want to be doing one step one step one step um and just in the right direction i mean have you got any practical advice or case studies if you can share them you know where you've addressed or supported a client or even your own business you know through choosing the right growth strategy for them um yeah ab- absolutely there's, there's i think it's only so much detail we can go into course, yeah. um but but, <laughs> um but certainly we've helped brands identify the right audiences for them to focus their their offer on um there's there is a lot of interesting information around mass targeting and you know, preparing your offer for absolutely everyone 
And then equally, there's um, data and insight out there that suggests that, um, for example, only 5% of B2B buyers are in the market to buy at any particular one time. So um, there's a lot of wastage that comes with that. So I think a lot of the, the work that we do from an insight perspective is a help is not only to help support growth, but to to also, I guess, minimize some of that wastage and help people target um, audiences with um, with specific offers for better results, which we can test and learn um, through the through the various methodologies that we've got. Um, but equally, you know, we've we've helped businesses loosen their focus on niche sort of segment thinking, and and begin to think about much broader audiences as potential buyers of their their offer, which has changed the way that they've thought about their their proposition. But you know, qualitative, quantitative research, um, behavioural data. There's a lot of um, uh, work that looks at from a neurological perspective, from behavioral science perspective, um, things of behavioral eye tracking work, all of that blends together mm. um, to give people really clear insights around what's going on. So often these businesses and and, and they do have a strategy in place and, and, and more often than not, we're brought in as the voice of common sense, um, which is sometimes lacking um, mm. in a lot of boardrooms across across the world. So it's, yeah. a, it's quite a nice position to, to be in sometimes. Well, brilliant, Simon. Thank you so much. I mean, wh- I mean, if someone has heard um, something that they like the sound of today from me, where can they get um, in touch with you? Um, our website, which is wearerelish.com, uh, uh, through there you can find out a little bit more about the products and services that we've uh, got available and how we help uh, businesses. We've got some case studies up there as well. Um, and then you can contact us through that website. And we've also got a great LinkedIn page uh, as well. It gives you a little bit of insight not only to the work that we do, but the type of company we are as well. Like oh. to have a lot of fun while we do things. Oh, who doesn't, Simon? Who doesn't? <laughs> well, let's we thank- all need fun. Exactly. I completely agree. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much um, for your insight today. It's definitely given me some food for thought. And um, thank you for your time. Thank you, Charlotte. Thanks, Simon. Brilliant. So we've now heard from Relish, who've given their insight into the sort of things we need to be thinking about. Um, you know, so Josh, let's just kick off. You know, how how would we start talking about growth with our clients? Because, you know, we've already, you know, just discussed knowing what our customers want. Um, so then it'd be prudent to sort of find out which of our products and service they're actually buying, which ones are successful. So how, how we could maybe, you know, it might be a good idea here for our listeners to maybe just to sit for a minute and just think about what products or services they are supplying you know for the next 15 20 minutes we are going to be talking in depth about those and how you can analyze them so it'd be nice to have um for you to have them in your mind's eye um as we talk through these things but in terms of like analyzing what products or services are working and what they're not working how you know is there a way that we can use a model perhaps to 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 assess them essentially Absolutely. Um, now I have to put my hands up and say I'm I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to these sort of models that are used for for different sorts of business strategy. Um, but as much as I like the these general models and find them really fascinating on a on a sort of an academic level, it's really important to take these general rules and general thoughts to to generate practical discussion. Um, so yeah, uh, we can discuss them here. And then what I would say is, rather than us going through specific examples here, um, have in mind how these would apply to you. Because as I go through them, I always have in my mind various different examples. But obviously, if I've just got a client in mind, I can't say all of the details of that client for confidentiality. <laughs> but um, where I can find examples I that, that are... Um, 
you know, don't breach confidentiality, I, I will try and give those examples. And I think you, you touch upon it, Charlotte, I think the starting point is, if you're looking to grow, is to look at where you are now first mm. um you know all growth comes from a starting point and um i found it really interesting that simon said about um work out what makes you famous um you know if i were to apply that to to the the way the models work then another way of looking at what makes you famous is to look at what's your unique selling point what makes you stand out in the market um and then you can then apply that to actually say okay if that's what we are picturing as our that's what our culture and our marketing and our delivery of goods or services that's what we're giving how do we actually review that into how that's actually delivering profit and turnover for our business so the first model that i usually turn to is a model called the bcg matrix if you google bcg matrix you can get all sorts of really easy to understand graphics but what that basically tries to do is to break down products into one of four categories the four four categories are easy to remember because they've got really easy to remember names and you can put a nice graphic to it so that's why it's all over the internet but effectively you've got four different types of product or service you can have a high growth high cash um product so that's where the product is selling more and more in each period that you review it you're always selling more in the next period than you were the previous but it's also generating high cash so it's it's either got good profit margins or it's got good profit margins and the people who buy that service or product pay well so you know a star <clears throat> is usually what you want in business you want that because it's it's exciting it's a product that that in, inspires you inspires your team but it's also bringing in cash um which is always uh, you, you've got a win win there yeah and these are the ones that you you know you should be investing in they've got high future potential you know That's you right. know for the business that's right. They're going up. The, these are the these are the things that excite you. Um, you know, so you you do have a risk though with those as well because yeah. how how high does it rise before it starts to go down? That's always the the question. Now, in theory, a star will reach a point where the growth starts to tail off, and at that point, it becomes the next category, which is a cash cow. And really, in my mind. Maybe it's because I'm a, an accountant and by nature I have some sort of prudence in the back of my head. But a cash cow, they are your your ultimate ones because you haven't got that high growth. You haven't got the pain of trying to expand the business all the time. You haven't got the the problems with trying to keep building a higher staff base or dealing with higher and higher amounts of goods coming in and out or production issues. You've actually got a sustainable um, delivery model because the growth is now low. But because it has previously grown to this point, you still have a very high profit and cash position. So cash cows really are, um, they're what everyone desires to have because you haven't got to put too much effort into it anymore, but it is going to be generating a load of cash and, and margin for the business. Yeah. You get, you've, got, you've got a high market share, haven't you? It takes less less cash to run. And I quite like the analogy, you know, you want to milk the cows yeah, for the cash exactly. to reinvest in your other <clears throat> things like your stars. Exactly. And that's it. And it, once you've got a cash cow, by, by standing back and, you know, we probably should have said at the beginning that the important thing is to spend time not in the business, but working on the business. Um, if you want to grow, you don't, you know, 
you, you need to have time to be able to actually assess using data and ways of thinking about it where you're not just in the, the nitty gritty to actually say, well, hang on, where are we and where do we need to go? And part of that is actually you could be doing something day in, day out, day in, day out. You can see the money coming in from it, but you might not be observing that actually the growth has tailed off on this product or this service that you're providing. Yes, it's still providing the cash, which in a day-to-day basis still is very motivating. You're like, yeah, no, it's bringing in money. We're doing really well. But actually, as the growth has now tailed off, is that service and it, or is that product going to keep your business going for the foreseeable future? Because the next stage um, of the business cycle is that um, you then have a category called dog, which is unfair to dogs, I think. But this is where you have... Because pet is the PC term, I think, these days. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I fit... when I picture this, I picture a stray dog. <laughs> That's what I picture. <laughs> this is where you have a product that is now in low growth or is it is essentially in decline. So, you know, every month you might be selling slightly less. And you could also be in a position where actually because of that, it's no longer really providing as much cash as it was before. Actually, the cash generated from the service or product is declining over time. Um, and that's really hard to identify unless you're standing back and observing it. Because if you're, if you're in the, the thrust of business, mm. you might not be able to identify these trends because they might be quite subtle and sometimes if it's generating if it's still generating cash but actually there's there's a decline in the leads say that are leading to that product you might not be able to see it so clearly um but yeah a dog is where you know there are some products that actually um they can survive as a dog for a very very long time but if you are aware that that product is now in that position you need to then be saying okay we now need to use the cash available in the business to investigate if there is um other products that might have better future potential and that's when the final category that um is in the matrix is the question marks and the question marks are where you potentially have high growth but you have low cash Because if you think a new product is going to soak up cash like mad as you develop that product or you develop a new range of uh, products or services that you want to sell to the market, you've got to do all the marketing. You've got to get the team in place. You might have to increase technical skill in that area. You might have to change your production methods. Um, The way you deliver that service might be different. All these things create huge upheaval for the business, but it has this potential for high growth. Now, obviously, if you um, if a product sold nothing one month and then the next month you sell one of them, that's actually an infinite amount of growth. Um, <laughs> so high growth is quite easy to get when the product is new to the market. But actually, in the grand scheme of the products you sell, that growth might still, the, the volume that's going through might be quite low. But actually, these question marks, you want to have a range of question marks mm. where you have a range of products or services. You're like, actually, yeah, we've got five projects on these any of these could take off and become the new big big project for the for the business but actually we don't know which one it's going to be yet no and that's where i think you decide whether which ones you invest in or which ones you discard or put to one side just depending on their chance of them becoming those stars absolutely and that's where you want you know ideally you want all of those question marks to become stars Mm. um and i think that having you know i often use this model to go beyond just looking at services and products sometimes you can actually if you've got you're in a position where actually you've got um, several businesses under your control that do different things. You can actually assess your businesses yeah. in the same sort of model. And, and this is why I like it as a thought exercise. It's like you've got these categories, you've got your definitions. Now, how can we use that 
um, to assess a whole range of things. And that allows you to sort of pin things in. Obviously, you know, people don't like being um, categorized and put into a box. But um, in terms of thinking about where are we to inform where we're going to go, I think it's a really good starting point. Absolutely. And I think once we've analysed our products and services then and you know what sort of impact they have on the business, I guess the next logical step would be for us to consider the life cycles of these products and services. Obviously, we've touched on that before about growth and things like that. You know, if we've That's got right. like if we've got like a product in its growth phase and it takes a lot of resources and our but our cash cow may be slipping to the decline stage, you know, we want to see how I mean I'm jumping the gun here of of the life cycle, but maybe we should chat through through a product's life cycle and then how that would link back to what we've just spoke about with each product or service one by one that's it so if you if you imagine a graph where you've got along the bottom you've got time and um going up on the y-axis you've got um sales volume let's say it could be sales volume it could be um margin it could be gross profit um any any what's the most important metric for your business to assess but let's just say for now it's turnover so you could you've got your question marks these are your projects that you're working on you don't know what they're going to do you don't know if they're going to succeed they are at the start of this you've you've not had very much time with that product um and and its volume isn't very high yet but you'll reach a point with one or two of them that they will then start to grow even faster and their volume of of profit um or turnover cash whichever metric we want to use really starts to have an impact at this point they turn into stars they're the they're the rising product these are the ones where you're like this is feeling good we're on to something good here let's let's keep this going um some of the question marks will quickly go from a question mark to a dog and then disappear um because they they never reach the volume or um contribution to the business that you really need them to make to warrant the investment or you might just stop them dead in their tracks um so then you've got your stars, they're rising up. So you, over time, as time is ticking on, you're generating more and more turnover from these products or services. And then at some point that starts to plateau and at which point they become your cash cow. So they, at this point, the growth is tailing off, but they're still providing good level of turnover that in turn is generating good cash um, and margins for the business. Of course, if at this point the growth is tailing off, but they're not really generating much in the way of cash or contribution, actually, you might be thinking that they're a cash cow, but they're not a cash cow if they're not generating cash or profits for the business, in which case they've gone straight from a star to a dog. And you have to be very aware of that to say, well, hang on, if we're assessing this product, it's not actually generating much. It's covering the costs of delivery, but it's not contributing anything to the overheads or profits of the business. Do we really need this product? Is this actually contribution now? Some products you might have a, this is where a loss leader might come in. You might have a product that everyone comes to you for this product. It doesn't really generate much profit for you, but it then is an access point for people to buy other things from you. Um, And in which case it might be very useful to have this dog product still there. Um, And then, you know, many cash cow products will eventually start to tail off where actually they do go into decline and you end up with a product that's a dog. Um, And with dogs, I I think this is an interesting one because you can probably, if you think about as a consumer, things that you buy and see in the shops, you can often identify products on the supermarket shelves that you're like, hang on, you can actually use this model and start to say, oh, these things are all these different um, products. Now, when I was um, studying all this back many years ago now um one of the examples we used to use as a dog was brasso because there aren't many competitors to brasso so the company that 
produces Brasso. It's an ancient product. It's not really experiencing growth, but its decline is so slow because it has market domination. You know, mm. if you need to if you need to polish some silverware, you may not have very much of it, but you'll have a pot of Brasso somewhere to do it. Um, and actually, this this dog product is worth keeping because it doesn't involve any investment. As long as we can produce it efe- efficiently, mm. we might as well keep that as we have market dominance. So it actually does still produce some cash for that business. So, and there there are plenty of other products that you can look at. At one point, electric toothbrushes must have been a question mark. You know, why <laughs> would someone buy something they have to put a battery in or charge up to brush their teeth, and then all of a sudden it starts taking off and becomes a a high, uh, you know, a, a star. So it's getting higher growth. And and probably the, the electric toothbrush market now is probably a cash cow because it's not really experiencing that much growth um, and is just sort of producing a lot of money for those who produce them. And now they don't have batteries in. People like Duracell can't be making even more money out of them. But I find it's a really, if you're if you're not ready to put these models to 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 um to your own business practice by just walking around the supermarket <laughs> and saying where is this product in the matrix and where is it in its life cycle mm. um and and if you do it on a business level you, you know often i can remember um you know you walk down the high street and and you know i was thinking hang on how is how is debenham staying alive and then all of a sudden obviously it, it starts to collapse and you think yeah i i i sort of if I didn't quite put it in the matrix, but you can sort of see how it might be becoming a dog in the marketplace. Mm. Um, and, you know, there, there'll be businesses out there that you interact with that you have allocated to these categories subconsciously without even knowing these categories potentially. Yeah, exactly. I love some of those analogies. And that's just interesting, like, you know, actually practically going around and just starting to apply this, you know, apply these these thoughts to other businesses and then and then your own or even your competitors. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great summary of it. Um, <clears throat> and I think the next step is really once you've got once you've spent some time thinking in those lines and having that sort of exercise of discussion which is often good to have if you've got people in your business who you can bounce ideas off and have those discussions then you can end up generating more thoughts and ideas and and get alignment on 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 what you think about those products and then the next step is to say well yeah okay great we've categorized our services and products we know where they are in the cycle well what do we do now because the product life cycle is probably the key there because once you know where you are each product is in that life cycle and you've charted it somewhere I say charted it. You've written it down on a piece of paper, and you know roughly where each is. <laughs> um, you want to your a mature business should have a a group of products in each category, so that as the products flow through that life cycle, you've spread your bets across different services and products, so that you've mm. got some that are growing, some that might come to nothing, some that are in decline but are still worthwhile for you. And you just want to manage that you've spread your bets. Really, it's about having a, a um uh, an you know, balanced portfolio yeah. exactly a bal- that's that's what i was looking for a balanced <laughs> portfolio. Oh, yeah. yeah and then and then the next step is is to say well, where do we go now with this information and that's mm-hmm. when some other models um start to come into play yeah and i think you're right i think the next thing is that strategic thinking process isn't it you know and um, we are going to talk about um what is described by michael porter in his i believe it's 1979 harvard 
business review is the five forces just as a side note i think we can probably pop some links here to detail theory behind this if our listeners want to know more um but you know the five forces is essentially a framework for analyzing your business's competitive environment and you can just measure your competitive competition's intensity the attractiveness and the profitability of the industry or market so you know do you want to kick us off starting yeah this so one? i'm gonna uh, my i'm all, i do have a habit of trying to get into the academics of things but i'm going to try and avoid that <laughs> try and stay on topic <clears throat> but effectively porter's five forces is a list of five things so this is when you are having an analysis about um a business or products or you know, you can use this as a structure for a discussion. So you can take each of your products and say, right, where, what's the future of this product? And you can apply these five questions to start coming up with, um, you know, how you might forecast how that might perform over the coming years. So the five questions or five forces that he talks about are rivalry amongst competitors. So that's who are your current competitors in that marketplace? Mm-hmm. And what impact does that have on the product or business that you're looking at? Then the second one is um, the threat of new entrants. So how likely is it that someone else will come and start competing with you in that marketplace and create an even harder um, rivalry or you know com- competition in the marketplace? The third is the bargaining power of buyers. So it's about, um, you know, are your customers, how much power do they have over you? If there's lots of products in the environment then and actually the, there's a downward trend on price do the buyers have more power over you for for demanding you know that price how how much do they need to have loyalty with that product or that service or that business the fourth item is the threat of substitute products so yes you're providing this product or service but could they go and get something that does the same job just in a different way from someone else um, and then the final force is the bargaining power of suppliers. So how much does your, if your suppliers were to squeeze you on price, if they were to diminish the quality of their product, how would that then impact your business or your product or your service? Um, so these are five questions. So I think, should we go through each one in a little bit more detail? I think, and I'll try and put some examples to it. They'll probably be big uh, examples, but you can apply these rules on a very small level um to try and work out and what you're basically doing it sounds i always think when you look at these questions they sort of sound negative because all of them are are very much an attack on the product you're reviewing yeah but i think you you have to be able to say what what are the areas that you're what makes you famous as simon put it how does that help you compete against these forces and Mm. it's about sort of seeing which ones of these actually you have the power in your business or product to actually keep bashing through and and it will ultimately help you sort of assess in a in a clear-headed way or as clear-headed as possible where you think the future of that product or service might go yeah exactly and i think you know if, even if you take that first one you know like your rivalry you know just break it down how many competitors do you have how many equivalent like products and services do they offer because the bigger this number the lesser power your business has um, mm. in the marketplace, you know, suppliers and customers, customers, they'll be seeking out your competition to find that better deal or the lower price. You know, if competition's low, you actually have greater power to charge higher prices. You can set better deals, you know, which will just generate higher sales and profits for you. And I like the link of, of this model back to the life cycle of the product. You know, mm. in the introduction stage, 
this might be where you don't have many competitors. You're just introducing a new product to the market. There's not really anyone else out there doing it. And you can probably garner, um, you know, potentially higher prices. And I think that's where you were not going to touch on that today, but you would look at pricing strategies. But when you're in the growth stage, where I said before about there being more competitors in the marketing space, this will this will become more difficult to navigate, won't it? Yeah, and and you raised the example earlier of um, Apple's iPhone, and and it's you know, if, if we I'm not an expert on Apple, so anyone out there who is an <laughs> Apple geek, I'm very sorry. I'm probably about to to cause lots of anguish, but if you think about Apple, were more a computer company before the iPhone came out. Yes, they'd got the um, the iPod, um, but when I think it was 2007, 2006, when they first released the first iPhone. But that was them venturing into a new market, effectively. Mm. It was a new product. It was a question mark. Is this venture going to succeed? This is us. You know, Apple had a lot of rivals at that time where there were lots of cheap MP3 player manufacturers. Anyone who can remember MP3 players, I can. Mm -hmm. Um, The Apple computer, whilst has a lot of unique selling points, you know, the Macintosh, the Mac, you still had it was neat there were lots of rivals and lots of substitute products available so they went into a market the smartphone they were the first to produce a commercially available smartphone and they were very quickly growing it became a a star very quickly and if you assess it against these five forces at the point where they released the iphone there's no rivalry because no one else has one commercially available on the market the threat of new entrants is quite low because they've got this technology and no one else had at that time. Yeah, it's a strong barrier to entry, wasn't it, at that time? Exactly. The bargaining power of buyers, well, there's there's not much bargaining power because they 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 want to get this new product they can you know want to buy into this product there are no competitors that they could actually start shouting you against and therefore your price sensitivity you know they could charge what they wanted for the iphone as long as it was such that it allowed buyers to actually buy in so that it was you had a big enough demographic demographic to buy it for the for the volume needed substitute products now that did exist because you still had you know regular mobile phones but um the blackberry probably was the closest um i'm trying to think when the blackberry came in whether that's after the iphone or not but you know that's a substitute product it wasn't quite at the level of an iphone and then the bargaining power of suppliers okay they did have that um but and and ultimately this is what i think if i remember correctly they had it being manufactured samsung were building parts of the iphone yeah and then and then you roll on a few years and that's when you get threat of new entrants actually samsung now have the technology because they've they've been making it and they've got enough changes so they can get their own patents on their own stuff and then suddenly you've got a rival so if you were assessing the market say oh should we venture in we you know our product is going into decline should we invest in this question mark product that's going to go into the smartphone market well you go hang on the smartphone market there are lots of rivals new entrants is if you've got the ability to get the suppliers to build the product and design the product, actually it's not as hard as it was to get into the market. Buyers have got a lot of choice and a lot of power in demanding what they want as features and benefits and how much they want to pay. Um, Substitutes, I, I would probably argue there's not a huge range of substitute products for a smartphone. No. Um, and then bargaining power of suppliers, you've got so many suppliers um well we've seen it recently with the the chip shortage you know i don't think it's hit the 
smartphone market but you've got actually when it comes down to some of the very specific chips the production of batteries the production of key chips in the product actually there are only a few suppliers that can do these really small components that actually without that small component everything else doesn't work you look Mm -hmm. at the production of cars where actually the one factory going down in japan has caused car production across the world to slow down Mm. Um, so that's the bargaining power of a supplier. They that supplier once they're back up and running, probably charge <laughs> higher even prices, more fewer suppliers. They go, oh, yeah. actually, people can't operate without us. Our product probably is under undervalued. Mm. Um, so obviously, I think most of our clients aren't looking at entering the smartphone market, but it's just sort of using these five areas to go right. This product is a question mark. This product is a cash cow. This product is a star applying these forces and saying right which of these can we compete on yeah because you might say yeah i've got all these rivals but i know that if i'm sat in front of um, a potential customer i can explain why our product beats our rivals products and i'm confident that we can do that then in which case you go okay yeah we've got all these rivals but our hero you know why why we're famous we can we can prove that we can actually compete within that rivalry that's there and you go tick okay great that's not a barrier to us okay let's move on to the next force yeah look at new entrants exactly and that's what i think it all just leads back you know around that unique selling point that product differentiation getting your branding right your pricing right it's all interlinked with each other um you know everything feeds off another you know there's we've already talked you know a number of different models here you know we could adopt with regards to growth um and the, but one of the most common ones um, that we, you know, we probably actually use with our clients, probably not in the, the terms of the actual model, um, but is the Ansoft model, you know, where yeah. we, it, it's comprised of two axes with products in the market. So this is essentially how you would take your products and where you would put them in markets, very simply. Um so, you know, now we've got our products and services. We know what's threatening uh, threatening them in terms of our competition. Where are we going to take them next? Are we going to take our, you know, uh, question marks um, as new, you know, new products? Where are we going to position them in our current market or or an exist, um, or a new market? Um, so maybe we could just chat around around that, that sort of the four. It's another... Um, uh, axes yeah. i can't i can't think of the word yeah it's another it's another, it, <laughs> another table i think port of <laughs> five forces doesn't lend itself too well to, to graphics but ansoff no. is another one that's it's a classic you know in business you can prove anything with a quadrant i think is, <laughs> yeah. is the rule i go with an ansoff is a quadrant where you have an axis that is increasing risk and another axis uh sorry an, an ex- axis where it's either an existing product or a new product and another axis where it's existing markets or new markets. Now, the difference thing with Ansoff is both of the X and Y actually are about risk. Mm. One is about market risk and one is about product risk. Um, so this can be an interesting exercise. So let's say you've got your, your key management team together. You've gone through where you currently are. You've got your all your products and services listed out. Say, right, we know how we categorize them. We know where they are in the life cycle. For each one, we've looked at all the five forces. We know the risks that are involved. We now go, okay, well, where do we go from here? Well, actually, the Ansoft model is is one where you're looking at how do you grow your business um, and how do those risk factors then impact your general strategy. So if we start in the bottom left-hand corner of the um, the graphic, that if you if you Google the Ansoft matrix and look at Google images, you'll you'll get the quadrants instantly. 
So if you're looking at, okay, you've got your 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 current products and services, you've got your list of ideas, you can go, okay, the ideas that we've got, does this idea pull on existing products that we have marketing to existing markets? So if we look at, you know, iPhone 50 or whatever it is now, that is a existing product. It's an iPhone into an existing market, the smartphone market, one you already operate in. So that is about market penetration. You're producing a new product to try and get your market share up, to try and get more value out of that market. Yeah, and I mean, how how do you do that? You know, what you know could de- decrease your prices, increase your promotion of that product. You could even buy a competitor, maybe in that in that um, you know to 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 penetrate the market more. You could do, yeah. It's whether you update the promotion of the product or service, whether you update the um the benefits whether you give a nuance on how you deliver it you know mm-hmm. like people used to say that there, there was some point with the iphone with all they did was change the color each year and actually that was the way they tried to <laughs> penetrate the market because it allowed them to market it but actually the under i don't know the technicals of the underlying um stuff but you know that's where you look at your current products and how do you refresh the product effectively <clears throat> to to allow it to continue to um compete in the existing market so it's an existing product existing market you just need to refresh it and you know often that might be enough to turn a a dog into a cash cow or something like that if, mm. if you you basically view it as a new product and put it at the beginning of the line again yeah it's relatively low risk as well probably exactly there. that's the lowest risk so most businesses will look at that this is what we do this is what makes us famous this is how we can use that to um to without taking too much risk try and push for further market share the problem is if that you're looking at a product that is a dog and you're looking at your five forces and actually all the five questions you've asked you're like oh i'm a bit nervous about all five of these forces that are acting against the product then although it's a lower risk for you in terms of investment is it going to pay off Mm. and that's when you then start to say okay in which area am i you know most happy maybe not the right term least scared of increasing the risk for our business do you investigate new products so you're selling to the same market so in terms of um you know marketing the people you're already marketing to will want this other product that you might do so that's you know sometimes you could view that as okay that's that's quite easy because we've already got the you know the people who we want to we'll sell it customers. to, we've already got them. Yep. So we just need to find something else they want. So let's go and let's go and see um, what new products we could develop, new services we could develop, and say, oh, do you want this as well? We do this as well, by the way. Now, mm. um, and you can then start to increase your um, sales volume based on selling an extra item to the people you already sell to. Um, so you've you. You've got low risk in the market because it's people you already deal with. You have got risks that you're now doing something that you've not done before. So you have deliver- the risk of, can you deliver on that? Mm-hmm. Um, the other way, so if you go, actually, I'm a bit I'm a bit nervous. I don't want to get my, my operational team to start delivering something they're not comfortable with, or I don't want to have to re-kit the entire factory to produce this new product. Um, what can we do to take the products and services we already provide, but go and see if they can be used in a different market. And in which case you're taking, you don't have to invest in the the service or operational think. side, but you do then have a much bigger marketing um, operation that you need to put in, into place because you, you can't just rely on your existing customers to um, to buy this 
this this new thing because they're already buying it you're now trying to get more people to buy it who wouldn't normally have thought of buying your product and effectively this is where you're becoming a substitute product in someone else's porter's five forces yeah and i think this links a little bit back back you know back to what simon said in in terms of then catering to your different customer segment of finding out where your customers are you know is it a new domestic market like regionally expanding or do you need to go into a foreign market internationally exactly exactly that's exactly what it is you know yeah we've we've completely saturated the market in the southeast should we now go and sell this product in the southwest and again it's it's, it's probably it's potentially a medium risk move as well you know if you you know your existing products already sell it's just finding new customers in new markets that's it if you're confident in the product you've just got to be confident in your marketing team (laughs) (laughs) Um, and what was the last one? It's diversification, isn't it? That's right. So this is the the highest risk you can take. But I would argue if you get it right, it can probably have the most significant rewards. So diversification mm. is where you go, right, I'm going to develop a new product and I'm going to sell it to a new market. Um, because obviously you're now taking the risk that you're doing something you've never done before. And you're also selling it to people you've not sold to before. So you, everything is new to your business. And this is where you, knowing your your business's ability to invest in such a product, but also knowing your risk appetite as a business, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, if you're one owner, actually you'd probably need buy-in from management to know that this is the case. Otherwise they'll be going, oh, they've gone mad. Um, but But diversification can be a huge benefit it can be a huge risk and it can become a you know i've seen over the years many times when someone's gone right this is the product i'm going to do and i'm going to um it's completely new we'll set up a new business and that will run it and it doesn't get anywhere but likewise i've also seen people who have done that and actually that has them overtaken their original business so in a huge way, that diversification has really broken out of the the, the product life cycle, life cycle that they've currently got with things that are very have a very low differentiation between them, and all of a sudden they've got this completely diverse product has its own um, life cycle going on, and and actually that then opens so many doors in other products, and yeah. now you know it, we talked about having a balanced portfolio. Diversification is the best way to balance your portfolio because mm. if you've got um, if you're selling two things in completely different markets and they're completely different products, your business has got um, you know potentially a bit more stability. You always have that argument uh, that is a classic when when you're studying finance. They say, okay, you have an ice cream salesperson and they're also a, an umbrella salesperson <laughs> because they've diversified the products because the people who want umbrellas are completely different to the people who want ice cream because. And and the products are obviously completely different as well. But actually, they they actually um, as a business um, mm. do complement each other because well, the seasons. when it's cold and raining, <laughs> people don't want an ice cream. And when it's um, yeah, I could argue that I could argue that with kids though. Maybe <laughs> they always want an yeah, ice cream. They yeah. always want an ice cream. And to be honest, when it's really sunny, you might still want an ice cream. Uh, might want an umbrella. Sorry, you definitely want an ice cream. Yeah. So, so, but but they're peripheral things. I think the main thing is you go well. Demand for umbrellas is up when it's cold and rainy, and demand for ice creams up when it's warm and sunny. These are complete opposite markets, complete opposite mm. products, but they complement each other, and that's where taking that risk can really pay off because it can actually change. <clears throat> you know, if we go back to when we used to talk about uh, break-even analysis and things like that, it can really change the seasonality of your sales 
and make mm. a huge difference on the contribution to, mm. to your business. Even in the mouth. And I think that, you know, there is lower risk diversification. You know, if you've got synergies in your existing products or market to your new products or new markets, you know, <laughs> for example, I don't know, like a leather shoe company introduces a line of leather wallets and accessories. They are different products and different people will want them, but there, you know, the synergies are between them. So there's a less risk of diversifying your product. But you might have something where there's no synergies, like that leather shoe company starts manufacturing phones, which is complete, yeah. doesn't make any sense. Or I, I thought one of the ones I was thinking of was the Dyson, I think it was predominantly a vacuum cleaner. Now they produce hair stylers. I mean, you could argue there is synergies in the technology within the hair styling machine over a vacuum cleaner. I don't know. But it does feel like very new product in a new market. But uh, probably yeah. a diversification that's paying off for them well one of the ones i mean this is usually where you get you, in in with the with the larger companies you get acquisitions i'm trying to remember like if you look at unilever um or mars they own so many companies in such diverse areas um that you know they sort of balance out their portfolio of businesses i think it's um oh, i might be wrong here and i might need to be fact-checked but um <laughs> i'm sure it was mars own do they own dulux or someone like that they are basically they're in you know we always think of mars as being the provider of chocolate bars but actually they own so many other businesses behind the scenes mm. that are completely different yeah. you know you think of but, but someone who buys paint may also want to buy a Mars bar. But <laughs> well, you do. It's a hard job, isn't it? Painting, decorating. Exactly. You need the energy. Yeah. Well, I think in reality, you know, most business owners and most of our listeners, they're probably already thinking about these things or have thought about these things without maybe applying the model. So I think it just gives them a nice structure for like that thinking exercise. And you know, we've touched on, and we're, we're always touching on how you grow your business is working on it not in it and these strategic times that you take for your business you you know just that hour that you're putting aside that day or that week and having a look at these you know one of these models and starting just to think about your business and and how where it is now and where you want it to go I think it'll just help you know later on when, when you choose your marketing strategy your financing options we're going to come on to that over the next couple of months you know have we got anything Josh just to summarize sort of what we've said today you know any more practical advice just to where a client might go to you know to support them through choosing this growth strategy and analyzing you know what we've discussed today yeah I mean I, I think it's the thing I'd say is it's good to to discuss these things i think all of these models you could easily say oh it's all a load of academic rubbish um but i think if you've got these questions in your head even if you don't think of it in terms of the models just have what pull out a couple of questions from these models that they give you and discuss it with the people in your business because everyone will have ideas about different things and actually you can start to build a picture of of you know what are our threats to our products is this is this product actually generating as much growth as it was and as much cash as it was? Um, is there a need to diversify the business? Um, and you know, one of the things that I would say is actually put get the graphics from Google and, and put them on the wall somewhere so that you think about them. Then the next step, go and think about them when you go to the supermarket and just sort of play around with it. Or if you're reading the news and you're reading about companies like, you know, P&O are in the news at this time while we're recording, you know, and, and you think, well, hang on, where are P&O in the life cycle of their business? And once you've started practicing it with these inconsequential, well, hopefully, you know, most of the time inconsequential examples, by nature, you'll then start looking at your own business and products 
and it will become something you're just doing and actually will help you then be more strategic even if you haven't got the time to go right i'm gonna have two hours out with my management team to just thrash out all these discussions yeah brilliant well um thank you so much for joining us today josh um i think it's been a very interesting discussion <laughs> pleasure <laughs> thank you I think the key thing to take away from today is whether you know who your ideal customer is, whether you know how your products and services sit within the markets you intend to go into, and what do you now need to do off the back of this podcast if you do not know these answers. Next week, we are joined by Malcolm Palmer, who will be discussing how to build your marketing strategy for growth. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We are A4G and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn at A4G Chartered Accountants. Alternatively, check out our website www.a4g-llp.co.uk which is full of free tools, guidance and plenty of food for thought to help support you with running your successful business. I've been your host today Charlotte and this is Let's Get Down to Business. Yeah which is which is often drilled into us um uh, by Malcolm when we speak to him he just looks at things and he's like what are you guys trying to do just mm. just dial it back a bit yeah and make really clear decisions and and that's what we you know where we come back to why we've been with A4G for so long is that it's just that type of advice is like look at what's going on just just think sensibly and you know this, this is how this is you know the, all of accounting has all of these great um uh sort of uh, equations and financial sort of modeling things that give you the clear picture that you need and, and people who ignore that are the ones that go wrong the ones yeah. who look at it and use it for to help them steer the direction and prove that they're going in the right place the right way yeah um, are the ones that, that do really well so yeah i could have given a shout out for a4g and, and <laughs> i don't know if you want to if you want to cut this in later on then by <laughs> all means, so.